We recorded this week's episode of NBA Sound System as we learned about the rumors linking Pascal Siakam to the Pacers and how they were heating up. They obviously heated up really fast because less than 24 hours later, it was a done deal. Siakam has been traded to the Pacers and the Raptors have received Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, three first round picks from the Pacers, as well as Pelicans point guard Kyra Lewis Jr. in return. Now you'll hear Kyle Irving and I throughout this week's episode remind you that everything we're saying about a potential trade is purely speculative. Now the trade's a done deal, and you can listen to our speculation and use that as a guide on how to feel about the trade that actually came to be. Next week, we'll be back to reflect more on Pascal Siakam's time with the Raptors. But for now, enjoy the speculation and then figure out how to feel about this deal. Welcome in to another edition of NBA Sound System. I promise no more month-long breaks. It's only been a week since the last time. Gil McGregor here with Kyle Irving. KI, what's good, my guy? Not a whole lot, man. This is the way that we like to do it. Only a week in between. And you know what? The NBA still gives us plenty of stuff to talk about, even <laughs> when it's only a seven-day span and we don't take a whole month off. So, you know, we're, we're fresh off Christmas break and we're back and uh, back into a weekly routine now. It's pretty wild. That's funny. Like, we spent like the first five, ten minutes last week playing catch-up of everything that happened over a month span and now we probably could do the same thing uh over things that just happened uh in, in the past week which is why i wouldn't even know where to start but thankfully we got some clarity on where to start tonight we are recording this on tuesday january 16th and literally like within an hour before us hitting record we get the notification from shams charania saying that there's some there's some real motion happening between the Raptors and the Indiana Pacers. Nothing concrete right now, but I, I feel like the confidence with which Shams reported uh, what he reported about the deal means that something is is actually brewing. He said developing. I'm going to quote him exactly. The Raptors and Pacers are in active talks on a trade centered around two time All Star Pascal Siakam, so on and so forth. This has got has to mean that there's some smoke and there's got to be a little fire, right? If it's coming from Shams. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you have the uh, nail on the head right there with, you know, the idea that the wording of the tweet made it feel like it's a little bit more imminent than like, mm -hmm. you know, just like, a, oh, like he tweeted out, what was it like the Sacramento Kings are interested right. in acquiring Pascal Siakam. And then within like 15 minutes, he was actually like, you know what? No, never mind. They're not. Um, but like it, it has like a little bit more urgency behind it. Maybe we're reading into it a little bit too much, but uh you know, shout out to him for giving us this news before we recorded the pod, because how many times I feel like there have been so many times where like we get off and then all of a sudden it's like, I remember one of them was like, right when we logged off, we, they got the, uh, we got the notification that Zach Levine is like mm -hmm. on the block and we were like, damn, man, that's something that we could have talked about. So shout out to Shams for hooking us up and uh, giving us some, some pod content here with the Pascal Siakam trade details before we recorded. No, it's funny you mentioned Zach Levine because I remember sending you the tweet after like, man, that would have been cool to talk about. But then it's also funny because here we are probably six, eight weeks later and he still <laughs> just has not been moved. Um, and it's funny you also mentioned like the wording of, of Shams's tweet. A lot of times we get those uh, run it back videos where he's just like, Western Conference contender emerges as suitor. And then you got to watch like the first 15 <laughs> seconds and see, oh, it's the Kings. But we got it right away. So maybe that means something else too, right? We know that it's the Pacers. So I know that Pascal Siakam has been linked to a number of teams, and we've talked about fake trades, be it the Kings, like you mentioned, the Hawks prior to the season, um, the Pistons, which they, they he deserves better than that. 
um, the Pacers as well. But the Pacers make sense, right? Just given where they are. We talked about it last week, kind of where they are uh, in the Eastern Conference, even with Tyrese Halliburton's injury. Um, so not really a surprise that this is the team that's emerging uh, at the forefront of the talks. And then there's a question about his future and what that means. But all in all, it could make sense for both sides based on how it plays out. Yeah, I think this is like an example, and you and I talked about it a little bit uh, the last time that we mentioned the Pascal trade rumors. But, you know, it, it makes sense for the Pacers in the sense that they probably feel like they can win him over uh, mm. to re-sign long-term. Like, even though right now his stance is he wants to test free agency, and it sounds like, you know, all signs point to Pascal Siakam testing free agency just to see what his value is and what he's worth. Um, you know, if he has a really good showing with the Pacers and he really enjoys playing with Tyrese Halliburton, like every player in the entire NBA probably would, uh, and he realizes, you know, the ceiling that this team has um, in the future with pieces like Miles Turner and Benedict Matherin and Jairus Walker and like these young guys that are coming up. The Pacers are probably just banking on the idea that they might be able to uh, lure Pascal Siakam to falling in love with Indiana and seeing this as his next home. So, you know, I mean, we saw three first round picks uh, is kind of the bounty that's being thrown out there right now, along with Bruce Brown to match salaries. They're going to have to, you know, fill in another player because the Pacers need to uh, give up another $8.3 million in salary to make this work. But uh, right now it's kind of sounds like even though they can't get that long-term commitment from Siakam, uh, you know, right when the trade happens, they're probably banking on the idea that they can make that happen uh, over the course of the rest of the season. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think like I'm just as a basketball fan and as somebody that enjoys watching Pascal Siakam play, I got excited thinking about like, the fact that he could be playing off of Tyrese Halliburton's playmaking. We've seen him play alongside, you know, a pure point guard in, a guard in Kyle Lowry in the past. We've seen him play next to Fred Van Vliet um, and guys who could set him up. But just imagining what he would do in that offensive system, but also what he could do for them defensively. Fixing that defense isn't a one-man job, but at least bringing somebody like that in that, that, that could take things seriously on the defensive end um, would help at least do more than, than they have done up to this point in the season. I know you mentioned the package and we could talk a little more about that because, you know, again, similar, but different to, to the Raptors, Knicks trade, how close can things get to this being a win for both sides? Um, the, according to Shams, it would be Bruce Brown and then a couple first round draft picks, which I think the number they dangled out was three. I think if, if the number is three, you take that in a heartbeat. I don't think the Raptors are going to get anything more than that. But I know that you said you had a, a, a question or questions to pose for me, and I probably will have something I'm going to hit you back with. But I'm ready to hear what you got for me. Yeah, so I, I did craft up a couple fake trades for you. Okay. Um, but right off the bat, you know, the first thing that came to my mind when I saw three first-round picks is that Benedict Matherin and Jairus Walker have to be off the table. There's no way the Raptors – I would just assume there's no way the Raptors are going to get three first-round picks, Bruce Brown – and one of those two mm. young players, especially because the salaries wouldn't even work. So, you know, they would have to throw in an additional player to make it work. So now, like, you know, you're getting in the territory where this is heavily favoring the Raptors, even though they're giving up the best player in the deal. Um, you know, the Raptors should be excited about Bruce Brown. He's a solid player. He's under you know under contract for another three years. Um, the first round picks that I had in these mock trades and all mock trades are a 2024 first rounder from the Pacers. Their 2024 first rounder, which they get the worst of Oklahoma City, Houston, or the Clippers. And then either a 2026 or 2027 first rounder, depending on how uh, deep into the future the Pacers want to go. So just to get the picks out of the way, that's kind of like what we're working with. The Pacers own all of their first round picks moving forward. So they can kind of, you know, mix and match there based on what makes sense. But 
I'm going to put you in Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster's shoes. Oh, boy. Your options of the player to fill in are, and you have to tell me which package you would take if you're the Raptors. Okay. TJ McConnell alone would match salaries. Okay. Obi Toppin and Andrew Nemhard, if you think the Pacers would do that. Obi Toppin right. and our boy Jordan Nuora, because that might make a little bit more sense on the Indiana Pacers side. And then if we're kind of thinking two more mid-tier players, it could be Jalen Smith or Aaron Neesmith. And Aaron Neesmith, sorry, not or. Jalen Smith and Aaron Neesmith. So if you're the Raptors, which package alongside Bruce Brown and three first-round picks interests you the most? You know, I think that the Pacers are going to be really reluctant to include TJ McConnell. I think, um, and, I, and I think he helps what the Raptors are trying to do, but I don't think that that moves the needle. So I'm going I'm I'm to eliminate that one. Everything else is intriguing to me for different reasons. I think I would prefer, and I, I, who wouldn't, right? Nimhart, Toppin, you're really getting the band back together. It's a homecoming for Nimhart, and you're getting the three guys from New York back together. Now you're just, you know, having that now in, in Toronto with Toppin quickly and RJ Barrett. So I would rank that one at the top of things. I, I'm curious. It feels like Neesmith has kind of found his way uh, there, but I also feel like he's kind of in that weird spot where they would be willing to part ways with him in order to uh, get a guy like Pascal Siakam. But I think about what he has kind of turned into as, as being a, a rel- relentless guy. Maybe that's just the edge that he plays with when he go- plays against Boston, but we've seen it. Um, but now <laughs> add another team that traded him. Now he gets to play like that against Boston and against Indiana. Um, and, and I think thinking about him and being a young guy, uh, and he and Jalen Smith, front court depth, right? Like, you know, what he can do and what he could be. That kind of feels like the most realistic one. And I, I just wonder, do you do you feel like you're 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 scratching your head about okay, what if we don't get what we what we are expecting from these guys? Um and, and Jordan War, I think I think you mentioned that we, we both saw him get buckets with Louisville when uh they came they came down to North Carolina to play against Wake Forest. Um NBA champion also. So, you know, to think about that. But no, I, I, you know, he's, he's kind of been an interesting career arc. I haven't really seen him um, pan out to be what he's expected to be, but it doesn't mean that he won't. Uh, but I'll probably put that package last because I'm putting the TJ McConnell package in not really something that I envision happening. Now that I say that, it's probably going to happen. And mind you, again, <laughs> we're recording this on Tuesday. So this could happen on Wednesday or Thursday before this comes out to you on Friday. So um, now you'll hear our take on any of the potential packages. And also, we could see something else happen. Maybe a third team gets involved, something like that. I don't know where you stand uh, on those assets, if there's a ranking of those or who you think makes the most sense or what the Raptors are trying to do. Again, Obi Toppin and, and, and it would be – and Nimhart is ideal. Don't see that happening. So the, the Neesmith, um, Jalen Smith, really probably is the one that is the second most intriguing. Yeah, I'd agree with you on the Obi Top and Andrew Nemhard being the most desirable for the Raptors. I also think it's probably like the one that, you know, the Pacers, they're getting an all-NBA caliber player in this right. deal. So they have to be a little bit flexible, but that's probably like a little bit more flexible than they would mm-hmm. want to be. Um, Obi Toppin to me makes the most sense for them to trade just because Pat, like that's the player that Pascal is going to eat the most minutes from. Right. Um, Jalen Smith is someone who like, he's been coming off the bench his whole career pretty much. So he's not going to have an issue to continue to do that. Uh, where Obi Toppin, you know, he had kind of worked his way into that starting role. He's, you know, coming off the bench, starting, he's, you know, alternating doing that, whether it was with the Knicks or the Pacers. Um, so he'd probably be a little bit more agitated to kind of take a step back. 
in in that sense, it feels like he would make the most sense to go to Toronto. But I do like the Jalen Smith, Aaron Neesmith potential package just because if you're talking about untapped potential right. and not really knowing what you're getting out of these players and maybe hoping that the Raptors player development system can kind of shape them into, you know, what their potential could be as two top 20 picks. Um, you know, that's probably the most enticing for their player development program. But, you know, in terms of like getting what you already know, like Obi Toppin is someone who I feel like could fit pretty well with what the Raptors are trying to do. And, uh, you know, he plays that high energy, uh, high flying level of basketball that Raptors want to play. Um, Jordan Nora is someone that, you know, I don't think the Pacers, you'd have to twist their arm to part ways with them. So I think that's probably the deal that like logically makes the most sense for, you know, both sides. Uh, but I, you know, it would shock me if Masai Ujiri is not, I don't want to say begging, but like, you know, kind of just like aggressively pushing to be like, well, why not Obi Toppin and Andrew Nemhard? I mean, what's Andrew Nemhard doing for you? He's backing up, uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton. He's backing up TJ McConnell. Like that's probably the way that he's trying to present it is that you could kind of survive without this guy and he'd be really useful for us. Um, but, you know, to your point, that's probably uh, pie in the sky for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it feels like that there will be a lot of pushing. I, I think that it could end up being you kind of want to find the 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 sweet spot right where you don't want to push too much to where you push them away but you also uh want to get to that point to get an idea okay how bad do you want this guy right so finding that that middle ground in negotiation which sometimes we've seen deals fall through uh because of that so i don't i don't think you push it to that point but you know, you never know until you ask, right? You know, you might get told, you know, no a few times and tweak things a little bit in the trade negotiation. And then maybe that sweetens things up a little bit and then it becomes a yes. So I'd be interested to see that. I do think, you know, we saw a lot of nice flashes from Andrew Nimhard, um, his rookie year, and he's doing it again, um, but just kind of at a different level just because so much stuff has kind of changed around him. But I'm, I'm thinking about the Pacers roster. And I know you mentioned Obi Top and thinking about, you know, the, the I guess the, the, uh, the, comeuppance of of Isaiah Jackson and kind of what he's become this year for them as well so and then again like you said Benedict Mathurin Jarris Walker definitely off limits um or I would give it like a 95 99% chance they're probably off limits maybe you push maybe that's what you do right you ask for Mathurin knowing in the back of your mind you really want Nimhard to be like okay you can't have that Canadian guy but you can have this <laughs> up-and-coming Canadian guy and maybe you figure it out that way and in reality that's what you wanted the entire time um, but just given the fact that there is like a, a, a they have a good problem. There's some, there's some positional overlap in Indiana. It would make sense to consolidate some of that talent. And so maybe it wouldn't be as hard uh, to pry some of those young guys who are on the fence there, especially if the Pacers think that that um, takes them to another level. I guess that's the question, too. Right. Um, and we talked a little bit about it last year, last week. Um, but I guess I'll ask it again now that it seems like it's maybe more imminent and maybe more realistic at the peak. And I guess I'll ask it differently than I've asked before. How good do you think a Pascal Siakam, Tyrese Halliburton Pacers team, how good do you think they could be and, and what do you think they could achieve this year? And I guess in moving forward too. I mean, a team like that could win a playoff series, in my opinion. Like it depends on what the matchup is. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, they would have to finish top six in the East in order to like kind of, I just, I, it would be a tough way to kind of make their way through the playoffs via the play-in tournament. So like you would mm-hmm. assume a team with Pascal and, Tyrese Halliburton, if he can come back healthy, would be a top six seed in the East. Um, but I kind of put them in that same tier as like the Cavs of like, okay, you have a lot of talent right now um, and you have young pieces like behind that talent and around that talent. But like, when is the time that it's actually going to pop? And like, 
they're not going to be in that tier with Boston and Philly right. and Milwaukee. And I'm, I'm going to put the Miami Heat in that tier because right. they're right. already kind of starting to round into form. Um, I don't think they're in that tier, but I do think that like this would kind of put them side by side, holding hands with the Cavs, uh, just in the same pedestal of like, and the Knicks are in that tier too, even though I think it's a little bit of a different situation Their Their talent is a little bit uh, older than the, the Cavs and the Pacers. But like, I would kind of put those three teams in that same tier of like capable of winning a playoff series if things fall their way. But also like if they get eliminated in the first round, I don't think anyone is going to think that's like a massive failure of a season or, um, you know, a, a huge shortcoming for what their expectations were. So, you know, with Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton, if Tyrese Halliburton can come back at full strength and play the way he was before, I see this t- being a team that could win a playoff series, but I don't really see them being an Eastern Conference Finals or NBA Finals contender. I don't know if you feel any differently about that. It's just the, the defense is they say defense wins championships and like, you know, whether that's just like kind of a mantra that's being overused or not, like you got to at least be one of the 10 best defenses in the NBA to have a shot. And they are very far from that. No, I, I I'm with you uh, completely. As far as that goes, like um, I've seen people say, I think Caitlin Cooper who, co- who does great work covering uh, the Pacers said that like, if this team's defense was just regular bad, they would be a much better team like this. It's all time bad defense that what that they've trotted out the majority of the time. And they've they've had some moments like possessions, not like full games, but possessions where they need to get a stop and they figured out ways to do it, which means they have the capability to do so. Um, but like you said, it's just not sustainable. And I guess like that's the the ultimate question as far as like what you're willing to part ways with to make this deal is OK. You know, right now you're a fringe team. You'll probably be a play in tournament team for sure. But now if this puts you ahead of those teams who you're next to, um, and I guess the second part of that question, the second part that you ask yourself is, okay, now we're here. Is this a building block? Is, you know, are we, you know, developing, if we can develop Benedict Matherin and Jairus Walker into being what they're projected to become, do we now become this team who could be, a Eastern Conference Finals level team. And that is the, largely dependent on their player development and how they build, you know, moving forward with, with trades and free agency. Um, so it's a really interesting position for the Pacers. I, I think they get better, obviously, adding a guy like Pascal Siakam. Now on the flip side, looking at the Raptors and what it could mean and just the position they find themselves in right now, um, building around Scotty Barnes, how – it's sustainable. We, we saw the level of play that he that he's shown this year, and I don't think that Pascal Siakam has been bad for Scotty Barnes' development. He won Rookie of the Year next to him, but I think that we might have seen, you know, now to the point where he's out kind of outgrowing the role that he can have next to Pascal Siakam, and that might be the other part of it, right? Or that is the other part of it, and la- allowing him to be that guy. We won't know until we see it, but I guess uh, the question is, what do you see the peak of that being? Is is he the best player on a championship team or the best player on a team that wins a series or two? And I know we don't really know yet, but how, how where do you kind of envision that ceiling being for the Raptors? And a lot of it depends on how they build around him. Yeah, I mean, a ton of it depends on how they build around him. And a move like this, you know, would be a step in the direction of, okay, we're going to start obviously fully building this team around Scotty Barnes, but like that is the full shift of, okay, now we are hitting a reset and, and fully rebuilding and we're acquiring draft picks in players that may or may not help us down the line. Um, but it kind of just helps them reshape their team around Scotty. And like, 
you know, obviously right now, like you said, we don't know because he could continue to improve. He took a massive leap this season already. And I've been super impressed with how good he's been. But like, as of right now, I don't think either of us would sit here and say, yes, Scotty Barnes can be the best player on a championship team. Like, I don't know if there's anybody, even the, you know, the, the biggest Scotty Barnes fan in the world probably couldn't sit here and confidently tell you that, but you know, there's, there is a path to him being a player like that. And he does feel like a player who's safe to build around in the sense that like, he seems easy to play with. Like he's not someone that demands the ball like crazy. He can affect the game with or without the ball in his hands. He doesn't have to score to make an impact. He can impact the game defensively, can impact the game with his passing. So a player like that is easy to build around. So like the Raptor, I would give them a lot of credit for making a move like this, honestly, because yeah, maybe you're not getting like whatever you could have got at the peak of a a Pascal Siakam being on the trade block Mm -hmm. when he wasn't on an expiring contract, kind of like we talked about last week, but like, Three first-round picks in in getting a player like Bruce Brown who is going to buy into the Raptors culture and then maybe one or two guys that could potentially may or may not help you down the line. Like, that's better than getting nothing, which is what they got for Fred VanVleet. Like, that is – they've learned their mistake there. And and then on the flip side, like, without, you know, boring people uh, over, you know, potential trade date t- details that may or may not, not happen. But, like, for the Pacers, like, a 2024 first round pick, like that could be, if this goes the way that they want this Pascal Siakam deal to go, that's going to be in the late twenties in a not very strong draft. And then they have the mm-hmm. worst of OKC Houston and the Clippers, assuming that's the other first round pick they're going to give up because they're probably like, here, take our 2024 first round picks. We don't really want them or need them. And then it's a, a future pick in 26 or 27 where, you know, at that point, it's like, well, who knows what the Pacers are going to look like? They could have cap space to play with. They could Tyrese Halliburton could be recruiting players, and they could be really, really good. And maybe they're a contender at that point uh, to the point where they don't even want those draft picks. So, like, it's kind of a win-win for both sides. Like, the Pacers are giving up the right amount for a, a player who may not re-sign with them at the end of the season, but at the same time, the Raptors are starting to take those correct steps towards the future and building around Scotty Barnes and really buying into the fact that hey, this is his team now, and we're going to try and build this team perfectly around him so he can be the best version of of himself and potentially turn into a player that could one day lead the team, lead a team to a championship. Right. I think that's ultimately the best way to put it, right? Is that you'll never know if you don't make a a deal or make a trade or make something happen. Um, But otherwise, like you just, you're kind of just figuring it out. And then again, like on the flip side, like you're, you're kind of empty handed if you just wait out and play it out. So you continue to build and, and do like, most you can, um, and if that's make a trade, which again could happen before we we you you hear we we wrap this up and before we get this pub, it could happen, but we'll see. Now, one thing we don't know about who Tyrese Halliburton is going to be playing with after the trade deadline, but we kind of have an idea who he might be playing with in Indianapolis, actually, uh, which is host of the All Star Game this year. So we'll take a quick break and we'll talk some All Star stuff because at least there's a little more clarity on what's going on ahead of the All Star Game. All right, we are about a month out from the All-Star Game. I guess we are a month out from the 2024 All-Star Game. Going to be played at Gainbridge Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, making up for the COVID year All-Star Game in 2021 that was supposed to be in Indiana, but then got pushed back. So they're getting it. There's also a full basketball court in the airport in Indianapolis <laughs> um, that I don't think you can play on, but it looks pretty cool. So uh, the Hoosier State gets down differently now. Last week and each week, each Thursday leading up to uh, the All-Star game, we either get fan returns and an update on where the the fan voting is, and then we are going to get the All-Star starters. Um, actually, if you're listening to this on Friday, 
then you have about 24 hours to get your votes in. If you're listening to it after Friday, I hope you got your guys in the starting lineup. But then we'll know the starters for the All-Star game on January 25th, and then we'll know the reserves on February 1st, and then we'll get the game later in the month. That said, last week, I'm just going to run through who would be the starters if we went with last week's leading vote getters. Then you and I can kind of deliberate through who should actually be starting. And maybe we disagree, and then we'll talk about some other tough calls throughout the All-Star game. But let's start in the Eastern Conference backcourt. Tyrese Halliburton, Trey Young actually jumped Damian Lillard last week. LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant. Uh, why the... No, they're not. That's the Eastern. That's not the Eastern Conference. Tyrese Halliburton, Trey Young, Yasin Adekunbo, Joel Embiid, and Jason Tatum in the Eastern Conference. Front court in the Western Conference: LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry in the back court in the Western Conference. Here I am mixing my conferences up and just not knowing how to read, but you get what I'm saying. And again, this is from uh, the week of January 11th. So you'll get one last fan return on January 18th. Probably won't change, but so much these guys will be in the right conferences. I promise. Um, but now, and I say that, what are you thinking about the All-Star game? I'll just ask you, who are your starters, Eastern Western Conference? Right now in the Eastern Conference, um, you know, I, I actually love the Trey Young respect. You said that he jumped into would be he a starter. He jumped into Dame last week, yeah. I love that because he's someone that, like, I almost at this point feel like Trey Young, has, like, he's so talented and so good that people started, like, you know, kind of just, like, putting him under a microscope and really just like getting on him for his defense and like the things that he can't do. And then people just kind of forget that like this dude sleepwalks like 27 and 10 every single night. And like, I mean, he's an all-star. He is an absolutely an all-star in my mind. I didn't have him in my starting lineup, but like, I'm glad to hear that the fans are starting to vote that way. Uh, My starting five in the East, I had Tyrese Halliburton. I had Donovan Mitchell as the second Mm -hmm. guard, which, you know, I mean, Damian Lillard might feel like he kind of, earns that spot as a legacy spot almost, but you know, don't sleep on the Cavs. They've won five straight at the time of recording. They're starting to play better basketball and Donovan Mitchell is leading the way there. So, you know, I feel like there could be some respect that uh, is deserved there. Um, in the front court, it's Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid. I don't really think there's any argument there, um, but you know, if, if Trey Young ends up being the starter, I would not be upset about that. Like if Jalen Brunson ends up being the starter, he's another one that I feel like could like, you know, kind of work his name in the mix. Tyrese Maxey did not mean to skip over our guy, Tyrese Maxey. Like those are, I would say those four guards, if any of those four ended up as the second starter next to Tyrese Halliburton, I would not be upset whatsoever. Um, but, you know, just at this time in, in space, I have Donovan Mitchell in the East. And then in the West, um, I'm actually going to disagree with the fans here. I had Shea Gildas-Alexander and Luka Doncic mm-hmm. as my backcourt. Uh, all respect to Stephen Curry, but he's just, not, you know, we can't just hand him the spot because he's Stephen Curry. Those two guys have earned the starting spot in the Western Conference. Shea Gildas-Alexander and Luka Doncic have been arguably two of the five best players in the NBA this season. Um, and then in the front court, I had Kawhi Leonard, I had LeBron James, and I had Nikola Jokic. So I don't know if your starting five is uh, the same or different than mine uh, on on each side, but I'd be curious to hear where uh, our opinions differ. We're pretty much the same on both sides. I, I had Dame instead of Donovan Mitchell, but I, I had Donovan Mitchell listed as a guy mm-hmm. in consideration. Trey Young is interesting. Um, you know, we talked about it, I think it was last week, and you're like, man, when did the Hawks get 14 and 21? They're, at the time we're recording, they're 16 and 23 now, which doesn't look as bad. And, and definitely, if it weren't for Trey Young, they would probably be like 10 and 29. And 10, 10 and 29. So, like, respect to, to what he's doing, especially on a nightly basis. Donovan Mitchell also had a 45 point performance out in Paris, which is pretty impressive to say. People always expecting guys to uh, not perform well playing overseas and long flight, whatever. So, I, I get that. He got the Cavs in the top four uh, in the Eastern Conference. I think the Eastern Conference, that second spot, 
Tyrese Halliburton is a lock. Let's hope he's back on the floor and, and able to play in front of the home crowd. Um, after that, I think it could be any of those guys. If you had to ask me right now, maybe the lazy answer is Damian Lillard just because his team is toward the top of the Eastern Conference. Um, and I think that actually I'm, I'm curious how much when we're talking about all-stars, it's an all-star game. How are we weighing team success with just how well somebody is standing out and being an all-star? Because it's we, we dance with this every year. Yeah, there's a third thing that has to be weighed in there too, which is, I mean, honestly, like whether we like it or not, it's just the legacy, like the legacy of a player. Uh, And, you know, like my, I'm sitting here looking at my full East and West all-star rosters in like in the East, I definitely favored like, you know, this year's success and team success. But then in the West, like, I mean, come on, man. It's hard not to have both LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It's hard not to have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Like, it's hard not to have Stephen Curry in there. It's hard not to have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in there. So it's like, I'm kind of contradicting myself. Like, in the East, I feel like I was kind of rewarding guys that are playing well this year and, like, their teams are are playing well because of it. But in the West, I'm kind of rewarding the legacy guys. Maybe that's just, like, you know, the the, the partial fan in me of, like, you know, what's an all-star game without KD and, and AD and Devin Booker and dudes like that. But, like... You know, at the same time, it's if those spots were to go to guys like whether it's Demonis Sabonis, Chet Holmgren, like Rudy Gobert, like guys that are legitimately contributing to winning success, then like it's hard to be upset about that. But I also understand that's not really what the All Star Game is about, even though these honors do mean a lot to the players. So I don't know how you feel. I, I'm I'm in I, I kind of in a similar boat, and I was honestly trying to think of ways in my head to not discredit them but make those choices easier I'm like okay well Devin Booker's missed this amount of time but then I was like man this has messed me up because he and Bam Adebayo have missed the exact amount of time and like the Eastern Conference front court's a, a little bit thinner than the Western Conference backcourt but it feels weird not putting Devin Booker in there but then also it's like like to your point right like the Lakers are are hovering around 500 and two their two players have been playing at a top 10 level this year right but then it's like how do i have two players off that team and the thunder only get one or the timberwolves only get one because it's like yeah i want anthony edwards in there but he probably should have rudy gobert in there because he's probably gonna win defensive player of the year this year so how do you have like somebody that's the best at doing something in the league this year not as an all-star so i do think there's a lot of tough calls um and we're talking about some of them paul george is another tough call that i mentioned in the western conference because it's like you know, the Clippers have played so well that they probably deserve to have two all-stars. But then it's like you start giving all these teams two all-stars. Now you're run, running out of space you know, for a guy like Chet Holmgren, Rudy Gobert. Um, and then it gets a little bit more difficult. So um, I, I'm feeling the same way about the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference front court, I, I think, is kind of a doozy. I'm going to throw some names out. And we can just kind of see where we stand on what's going on in the Eastern Conference. Um, I know we said those three guys, Tatum, Giannis, Embiid, easy. But then mm-hmm. you start talking about Jalen Brown's listed with the front court. Bam Adebayo, Julius Randle, Paolo Bancaro, Scotty Barnes, who we've talked about before. Again, they're they're one they're a game and a half behind the Hawks. So we can't talk about team success. I know Trey Young's been playing at a supernova level, so maybe it's a little bit different. But you know, talk about the leap that Scotty Barnes has made. Um, so those guys in the front court in the Eastern Conference, and I'm sure there's some other names that are probably Jimmy Butler, who hasn't played that much, but he's still Jimmy Butler. You know, so when it comes down to that, I don't know what you thought about the Eastern Conference front court because the back court feels a little more straightforward. Yeah, I I have two locks in the Eastern Conference front court for the reserves. And that's Jalen Brown and Bam Adebayo. Those to me are like the two that like, if they're not on the all-star ballot, it's like, what are we really doing here? Mm -hmm. But like beyond that, like Scotty Barnes to me is pretty close to like that lock just from how well he's played. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, like Paulo Bencaro's team is playing better and he's been really, really good. 
like Julius Randle is a situation and I'm sure we'll talk about it in the West a little bit, but like Julius Randle is a situation where it's like kind of similar to last year. Like, is he the all-star or is Jalen Brunson the all-star? I'm going to lean towards my guy, JB. I mean, I don't know if you feel the same way or different, but to me, he feels like he's the best player on that team this season. Um, so, you know, like you said, tough decisions. Like if Scotty Barnes, Paulo Bencaro, I'm kind of going to leave Julius Randle out of that one just because I do have Jalen Brunson as an all-star. And I don't know if the Knicks should have two before like the Raptors would get one or before the Magic would get one. But like, you know, if, if it were to be Paolo or Scotty, I wouldn't be upset either way. I feel like both those players have earned a spot. And that's to say like there are two wild card spots. But right now, in my mind, I kind of have that filled by like Trey Young and Damian Lillard. Those are two guys that I feel like are going to get in. So, you know, it, it's going to be a tough decision between Scotty and Paolo Bancaro for for the coaches who are voting on that. I agree. I think it's it's weird because like the, the Julius Randle thing, it really does kind of feel like it's the same conversation or, or narrative. And maybe it's like every other year because he had the breakout, you know, his, his second year in New York. It was what, 24 points, 10 boards, six assists per game. Took a step back. They team The team took a step back. Then last year is like always oh, back playing at that level. Then this year he came out of the gates struggling and people kind of wrote him off and they were upset with him, especially just given like how fickle fans are, especially fans of certain franchises in the NBA. Um, but then he came back on strong and looking at his numbers, he's averaging 24 points, nine boards, and five assists, give or take, for a team that, you know, they're seventh in the East right now. So I think that that is probably what holds him back. And I think that's where the fatigue comes in, especially because Jalen Brunson has been more deserving this year. And I think that like it kind of flip flopped, I think in years past where people were a little unsure of who was more deserving. And I think that if the Knicks were four or five games better, then it would be a tougher decision. But when we kind of go through it like that, especially given just the, the, the complaints that people have had, some of which are valid uh, about the way Julius Randle has played this year or in certain spurts this year, I, I think it, it would be interesting to see, you know, a first timer like Paolo Bancaro or Scotty Barnes. Um, and again, you know, Magic are right behind the Knicks in the standings. And you could argue that Paolo's just had a, a, a more complete body of work this year. And again, getting, getting a first timer in there and seeing it that way, I think that is intriguing just as much as, as somebody coming again for the third time. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's where like injury replacements become interesting because like Adam Silver makes those calls. And it's like, all right, if Tyrese Halliburton isn't going to be. Uh, eligible to play in the all-star game because of his ankle then all right that bumps up one of the guards but then like who takes that spot and I think that's where you're going to start to see like you know even though I, I know players don't really like getting in on the injury replacement I know Devin Booker and Anthony Edwards have both Anthony made Edwards, comments yeah. in the past that like they they didn't even count those all-star like Anthony Edwards said something along the lines of like I can't like can't wait to like be nominated as an all-star for real this year or something like that mm-hmm. um and I'm sure like you know Scotty Barnes or Paolo Bencaro would feel the same way if that's how they got in but both those players are more deserve more than deserving and I understand where they're coming from like they want to earn it outright but at the same time like you've had an all-star caliber season and one guy goes down and you're the guy that fills in like you know shout out to both those guys because I feel like they are both deserving of being on the all-star team it's just one of those things where like maybe politics gets a little bit involved and that's where someone like Damian Lillard gets in because of who he is in the contributions that he's made to you know the Bucks uh success this season even though you know maybe someone like Paulo who's been the 1A on his team or Scotty who's been on the the 1A on his team could maybe get in over him but you know I mean we go to the west and it doesn't get any easier because like I, I talked about it with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle is there more of a coin flip than De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis? Like that is going to be the tough, because they're probably only going to get one, right? I mean, I know they both ended up getting in last year, but like they're probably only going to get one. 
because they aren't as good. They aren't, you know, in third place in the West, the way that they were last year at the time of the all-star break. So, I mean, Darren Fox is Mr. Clutch. He's the guy that they close with, but like Demonis Sabonis leads the league in rebounds per game. Like this guy has been like a walking triple double on some nights. Like he's been incredible. So like, how do you really decide between those two, those two players? And like, where do you draw the line? Like that's going to, I mean, that's, that's as much of a coin toss as there is. And I'd be happy with either result, but at the same time, like those are some really tough decisions to make in the reserves. It's tough because I think that's what, where it comes down to the depth of their respective positions. And we just talked about how, Crazy that Western Conference front court is. There's a legacy selections right where I think we're we think we're going to see two Lakers. Um, we're probably going to see two Clippers, right? Or there's a good chance that we see two Clippers. And then there's a whole thing where, like, again, like it's not even saying this like as a knock on him, but like we're kind of obligated to put Rudy Gobert in because he is a big reason why the Timberwolves have been at the top of the Western Conference all season. And then you start it's, now. You start to kind of pinch things. I didn't even say Kevin Durant's name yet, right? Uh, obviously, we did, Jokic is, is a given as well. And now, where where does that leave you um, with that? I think it's it's a it's a shorter line. I, when I wrote down like these these five guards in the West with Luca, Shea, Steph Curry, Anthony Edwards, and De'Aaron Fox, I think that that's a cleaner fit. I, I don't know. Maybe I mean I guess Devin Booker's name is the one that I, that could be mentioned, but you can have an argument for or against. But then when you when you throw that in there, then it gets a little more murky. But otherwise, like you know, the injury has kind of gotten in the way of, of Jamal Murray. Interestingly enough, the Pelicans have been playing really good basketball, but there hasn't really been anybody on that team that has kind of established themselves, making an All Star case. The Jazz have been awesome, but you know they had Lowry marketing last year. No, it was the home team. The one thing I will say about Sabonis, it would be cool uh, for him to be an all-star in Indiana. You know, I know that that was a big part of, you know, his career, his development, and then the trade that happened. So I could see the narrative aspect of that, not to say that all-star is a narrative honor or award or anything like that, but that would, you know, add a little bit to it that both guys who made that trade happen are playing uh, across one another in the all-star game. But just because I think there's a shorter line for De'Aaron Fox, and that's not to say that, you know, De'Aaron Fox is getting it by default, but saying that he's played well enough um, for, for that. So I don't know if that makes sense, if that's good rationale, or if you think that the line maybe is, is flip-flopped and then you think it's an easier path for DeMontis Sabonis in the, in the West front court, or if what I'm seeing in the West back court makes sense. No, I think that I think you got the right idea because I think like Devin Booker with his injuries this year, he's only played 30 games at the time of recording. Like that probably makes him easier to kind of squeeze out because you can kind of just throw it on the fact that he was injured. Like Stephen, I mean, assuming that Shea and Luca and Steph are in some combination going to be the starting backcourt and then Anthony Edwards is an absolute lock. Like you can't have the all star game without Anthony Edwards this year. Like that's where it kind of gets tricky and that's where maybe. Devin Booker gets phased out a little bit because I think he's more likely to be squeezed out than Kevin Durant is. And the Suns are obviously going to have one all-star. So to me, like that's where the legacy spots get really interesting because like KD and AD are there for me. Paul George is an interesting one because you'd feel like he should also kind of be in, but at the same time, like that means if he's in like Demonis Sabonis or Rudy Gobert probably aren't. And like you, you made a great case for Rudy Gobert. Like even if he's not your typical all-star game player that people are dying to go and watch him, you know, rim run and, and like not even block shots because nobody's playing defense. Like that doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve the honor. He certainly mm-hmm. does. Like he's probably going to be defense player of the year again. And he's responsible for uh, being the anchor of the best defense in the NBA. Um, so, you know, it, it's a tough decision. Then you look at guys like Chet Holmgren, who, in my opinion, like has done everything that warrants being an all-star. They're the second best team in the Western conference, but like the idea that he's a rookie, he's probably going to get squeezed out just because 
I mean, the service isn't there. Like just like the years of service just isn't there. Like he's not going to get in over like no matter how good he's playing and no matter how much he's contributing to winning, the reality is he's just not going to get in over Kevin Durant or Anthony Davis or like maybe even Paul George. So I think that's kind of like a wait your turn type thing. Um, But, you know, Sabonis and Rudy Gobert are two that are really interesting to me of like, and we haven't even mentioned like Carl Anthony Towns who like I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. think deserves to be an all-star this season, but like he has just as much of a case as, you know, some of the other guys just because of the team success aspect of it. So like this kind of going back to what I was saying about how like I was really like leaning on what's happening here and now in the East, Mm -hmm. but then in the West, I'm like, well, we need the legacy guys in because, you know, (laughs) that's where most of the old heads are. So it's going to be really, really interesting. And there are definitely going to be people, people that are upset. Like if Paul George gets squeezed out, we'll hear about it on the podcast. Uh, You know, if Devin Booker gets squeezed out, he's going to have like some sort of subliminal tweet that he puts out there that he's upset that he didn't make it. If Rudy Gobert doesn't make it or Cat doesn't make it, like there's going to be some sort of like, you know, sub sub tweet type energy there from them, whether it's in a press conference or whatever they do. So, you know, no matter what in the in the Western Conference, somebody is going to be upset. And I just realized that we're ta- having this entire conversation without even mentioning Zion Williamson, who, in my opinion, like didn't even deserve to be a starter last year and got voted in as a starter. So like, that's another name, just just purely based on like the headlines that he makes as a player that like could also be potentially in the fold with the rest of the guys that we're talking about. So. I mean, again, shout out to the coaches that are going to have to vote for the reserves in the West yeah. because that is not going to be easy. And I know they don't take it like as seriously as some of like the media members might in terms of like debating that type of stuff. But I mean, it's going to be really interesting once these rosters do drop. I'm going to go straight to the West and see who got squeezed out. Yeah, somebody's going to be upset. Um, I have a hot take what we're talking about, and I don't know if you're ready for this spicy take. But Hit me. My hot what take do we got? Is, is Kyle, there are a lot of good basketball players in the NBA. <laughs> that is i mean come on man cool off cool off I, I, need, I need to chill out i need to chill out i need to chill yeah, out yeah, but uh, in all seriousness I, I say that to say like you know all-star games have been and, and i know people have got, I've gotten some pushback from certain people saying like i don't i'm not it's not meant to be like a, a participation award but really what i'm saying is like to say that there are so many teams and I, we don't need to go full mlb and everybody has a participant in the game but I mean, I come do on, think why that... not though? Why not? <laughs> why not? Why not? Why no, not? No, right? no. I'm I'm but, I'm half joking. I'm half joking. I mean, but, like the 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 MLB All Star, like for the people that aren't diehard baseball fans and don't know, every every single team gets at least mm-hmm. one representative in the All Star game. And like there is part of me that feels like that could be but then like, you know, then we're going to, there's still people getting squeezed out because when Cade Cunningham gets in uh, the all-star game for a team that has four wins and we're squeezing out like Trey Young, then people are going to be upset. But like, right. well, no, Trey Young would be the Hawks all-star, but you get the point that I'm trying to make. Like, it's like, I mean, no I, what, I, I, I mean I'd make, my out, vote but. goes to Jalen Duren, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Now we're talking. <laughs> now, now, now we're, talking. we're yeah, now, now we're talking, but no, not to cut you off, but like, I know what you mean. It's a participation trophy type thing and I'm gonna let you continue, but you know, there is but, an interesting no, but, aspect to like everybody gets an all-star just to kind of, you know, cover your ground there. But not, but I, I don't think that it needs to be that far. I just think to say that, like, if you watch a regular NBA game tonight, on Tuesday night or Thursday night, every team has 13 active players. So even adding one more roster spot, which I know is just going to make the problem even bigger because, like, man, now we add an extra spot and then this person still got snubbed, yada, yada, yada. I'm not saying because then you say it becomes 13, 13 becomes 15, whatever, whatever. But I do think that it is really hard to say, like I said, we have a tough enough time doing a top 30 list at the end of the year. And especially if now we want to, you know, have that clear mark of all NBA being more prestigious, being for a full 
season's body of work. I think it'd be easier if there was some flexibility. I mean, we saw it a few years ago when D Wade and Dirk got honorary all-star spots. So it's not like having 13 players on an all-star roster is uncharted territory. So it's just something I think, um, you know, should be considered moving forward. And maybe it's been considered before they're switching things around enough. We're going back to East West all-stars, by the way, no all-star draft this year. Something we'll talk a little bit more about ahead of the draft. One more thing about all-star voting. I don't know if you saw this or know this, but somebody noticeable, top 10 Western Conference front court. Shout out before we get the shout outs, Alperin Shingun. Shout out to Alp. Again, the fans are proving that they know ball. He's up to a million votes, uh, and I'm sure he'll be past a million votes the time you hear this because he had 950K uh, last week. Now, I said the shout out before the shout out. Now it's time for the actual shout outs. Kyle, who you got this week? Well, first off, I want to congratulate you on your shout out from last week because Utah Jazz still haven't lost since the last time that you gave them a shout out. Shout out Will Hardy, man. That's not my shout out. I'm just saying he's got those guys playing well. My shout out goes to just NBA coaches in general getting their money's worth. Let's go. Getting their money's worth. Let's go. The day that we recorded last time was the same night that Darko Ryakovich had one of the all-time coaches rants I've ever seen after a game. And then Mike Brown follows it up and doubles his fine, $50,000, for not only getting ejected for charging at a referee. (laughs) Gil's pulling out his laptop on the stream right now. But also bringing his laptop to the post-game press conference to point out to the media the specific plays that he was most upset about. That was like I love it. that. That really was like a hold my beer moment of like, oh, like all right, Daka Ryakovich did this and really cussed out the refs over like free throws discrepancy and like you know lopsided calls in the fourth quarter. Well, hey, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna physically have someone. I mean, you also have to realize there was some sort of like video coordinator who like Mike Brown's on his way back from the locker room after getting ejected, and he's like, hey, I need you to clip these five plays so I can bring him up the press conference. And the guy's like, are you sure you want to do that? He's like, but he's also the head coach. So you kind of just got to listen to what he says. And I don't know if you happen to pick this up. I know you had a lot going on before we recorded. You had a Wake Forest game that you were watching and a radio spot, but Mike Brown actually uh, addressed like getting fined $50,000. And he said something along the lines of there goes uh, my son's trip to Lake Tahoe all-star weekend. Uh, We were going to take him skiing, but I had to call the wife and tell her that, uh, I don't know if we should be making that trip anymore. So so uh, I guess it's a shout out to Mike Brown and coaches getting their money's worth, but it's also uh, condolences to Mike Brown's son who no longer gets to go skiing in Lake Tahoe uh, over All-Star Weekend. Shout out to that vacation budget. That is a, whew, a 50K <laughs> vacation. I respect. I respect it. It's funny because you, I'm glad you said that too because I was very much considering um, a shout out to Mike Brown. So I'm glad that he gets it from you. Um, and just seeing that moment, seeing Steve Kerr call back to the moment because, you know, that was his former assistant. He's like, yeah, hey, can I get, can I get, bring me hang my laptop. Just joking around <laughs> uh, during his post-game press or two. So uh, to kind of see, to see that kind of take his own life. And again, you say get your money's worth. 50K, heck of a fine. Darko was just 25. So Mike Brown did double the rant. Double the action, double the fine. I think that's the maximum you can get fined, too. So, again, that's wild. My shout-out, actually, we mentioned the Pelicans. We mentioned Zion Williamson. I'm going to give a shout-out to one of his teammates, a NCAA national champion, Jordan Hawkins. He hey. stands out with this rookie class. He's been a professional, and I think that goes to playing at UConn. It, it speaks to, um, you know, being having played a couple years of college ball before coming to the league, but – to see where he's been, different spots in the rotation. The Pelicans were hurt to start the year. 
that kind of feels like a broken record. Me saying that could be any season I'm mentioning when saying that, but Trey Murphy, the third comes back in the lineup. There's not any minutes. He gets squeezed out of the rotation. He stayed true, kept his head down, kept working. There was a game and it's pretty wild. We got to figure out this back-to-back situation. I saw the Pelicans play the back-to-back. I think it was a Friday, Saturday. They get to, they go from Denver to Dallas, get there like four thirty in the morning, 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 in the morning, and everybody sits and they're like, oh man, Pelicans are mailing it in. Jordan Hawkins comes in. 34-point performance. They beat the Mavs in the next game. Kyrie and Tim Hardaway Jr. end up going for 40 each, which is pretty wild. But Jordan Hawkins um, has been one of the more impressive rookies not named Victor Wimbanyama or Chet Holmgren this season. Um, And and it may be too soon. But the one thing I want to say about him, and and I don't know, you look look back at the draft and see where he went in the draft and what he brings to the Pelicans and who he went after – is it too soon for some teams maybe to start regretting letting him slip to where he slipped or is jury still out? You, I think jury's still out just for the sake of, uh, you know, where this podcast is, is centered on. But uh, <laughs> no, no, jokes aside, I mean, I was just looking up the same thing. I mean, the guy, he almost fell out of the lottery and that's ridiculous. I mean, he could yep. not have proved it more during that NCAA tournament that he was – you know, probably far and away the best shooter in this class. I mean, the guy can shoot off movement, catch and, catch and shoot. Like, he has limitless range. Um, he's a smart shooter. Like, he's not someone that's mm-hmm. just going out there right. and gunning. Like, he he knows when it's his turn to take a shot and when it's not, when to pass it up. You know, he's not like any sort of, you know, stout defender, but he gives you everything he has on that end of the floor. I mean, the guy shot over 50% from three during that NCAA tournament championship run. He was so damn good. I mean, talk about flamethrower, man. And he has proved... Like you said, like there was not a clear path to playing time for him. The Trey Murphy injury kind of freed things up a little bit, and that kind of got it, let him get his feet wet. And then even when he came back, he was fighting to find minutes and everything like that. But he has proven that he has stayed ready. And to your point, I mean, there are a lot of teams that took so you know some shooters ahead of the Pelicans right. that probably wish they have Jordan Hawkins. You know, we're talking about it subliminally. We can just go ahead and say it. Like obviously, the Raptors went after Grady Dick, but they are not alone in that in, in Howard, making right? a potential mistake jet howard is another one who i'm like you know he's not getting any minutes on a magic team that so desperately needs shooting like that is the number one issue to me in orlando is they don't have the spacing that they need to play around guys like paulo and franz wagner who you know they can shoot from the outside but they're not three-point shooters like mm-hmm. would they not be better off with someone like jordan hawkins who i mean i had i know jet howard i'm talking about these guys from the way that i you know uh, you know, analyze them as a dra- their draft profiles right. and everything like that. Like Jet Howard may have had higher three and D potential, like emphasis on the defensive side of the ball because he had the tools, he had the size, he had, you know, he was not a good defender in college, but he had the potential to be one where Jordan Hawkins kind of a thinner frame, like the defense mm-hmm. was never really going to be there. And you kind of knew that, but like in terms of just NBA readiness to shoot the basketball, I don't know if there was a single player in this draft mm-hmm. class maybe Brandon Miller aside that was ready to step in and shoot the ball at the level that Jordan Hawkins has. So shout out to the Pelicans for getting that pick, right? Yeah, they nailed it. And, and I know I was joke, kind of joking. I know he went one pick right after Grady Dick and, and, and you know, he was three picks after jet Howard. Ultimately we are 41 games into these guys careers. It could very well pan out for each and every one of them. And it probably sure. will. Uh, but just early returns like Jordan Hawkins. And again, considering in and out of the lineup is putting together a sneaky, all NBA 
maybe not even sneaky anymore. All rookie, sorry, all rookie, not all NBA, all rookie <laughs> level uh, season. Yeah, really he's not that good. He's, he's not. <laughs> hey, he's he's all star reserve. In the way. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. seriously though. Um, but sneaky all rookie, maybe not even sneaky all rookie campaign this year. So shout out to him, shout out to what they they're doing in New Orleans again. Ever since they lost in the NCAA tournament, they've straightened it out, figured it out, and they're playing really good basketball. And that's a team that nobody will probably want to see in the postseason because they have so many ways they can hurt you, and he's another one. So we'll see how that pans out, and we'll see how things pan out with the potential trade that might have happened. And you guys listen to the whole first 20 minutes of this and say, man, they're talking about something that already happened. Or maybe you guys are figuring out what's going to happen ahead of the trade deadline. Regardless, thanks again for tuning in to NBA Sound System. We appreciate all of you that subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't yet, please go subscribe and get these in your feed every week they drop. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. We will catch you back here next week on NBA Sound System.